0: When I was uh, working out at St. Anthony's High School years ago, one year we, uh, we organized this meeting. Uh, the administration uh, asked all of the uh, parents of seniors to come, come to the school one night for a meeting. We wanted to talk about uh, the senior prom. This was probably January of February of their, their kids' senior year. It wasn't so much the prom that we wanted to talk about. It was about all the post-prom events, which had become sort of out of control over the years prior. Um, A lot of debauchery, in all honesty. Um, Hotels being rented for, you know, multiple days, no adult supervision, guys, girls, 17, 18 years old, Drinking, um, you know, kind of like recipe for disaster scenarios, right? And it was just kind of getting worse every year. And uh, we thought, let's get these parents together and try to be uh, strategic. They just seemed to have kind of surrendered, the parents. Um, They knew it was wrong. They knew it was kind of dangerous. But there was just this kind of strange, you know, like, abdication of responsibility they were they were giving their kids their credit cards to rent hotels in some cases so we encouraged them at this meeting to to push back collectively if you all kind of say no at the same time there's power in that but they they didn't or at least I think most of them didn't some certainly did but a lot didn't so, uh, maybe the year, year after or maybe the year after that, the school tried to make it more difficult and we, uh, we changed the schedule of things. We, we moved the uh, prom much closer to graduation. So, uh, I think it was, you had the prom and the next night they had graduation uh, rehearsal. And they had to be at the rehearsal, so it just sort of cut back on the, the craziness. No more three nights out in the Hamptons in a hotel. There was a book that came out uh, right around that time during those years that kind of spoke to this concern. It was a parenting book. It was kind of a, I don't know, more of a critique of parents of that time. Um, It was written by this sociologist, herself a mom of three teenagers. And she was becoming concerned with kind of what I was just describing from my experience at the high school. And she, uh, she went to this town in northern Virginia, kind of an upper, upper middle class town. And she got permission to study students. And then she got very specific. For three years, she spent time with these eight teenagers. She shadowed them like kind of all over the place. She went to class with them. You know, to some degree, even socially, she was kind of hanging out with them. Lots of interviews, just lots of observing. Interviewed a lot of parents, as well. Anyway, this was her conclusion, kind of the premise of the book, and it's not really a huge surprise. Number one, she said, kids need adults in their lives. Number two, The kids want those adults to be adult. Like, they don't want their parents to be their friend or big brother or sister or the cool aunt or uncle. Like, they actually want their parents to be parental. They may not always like it, but they kind of know instinctively they need it. The problem she was finding with a lot of parents back then was that they weren't doing that. They were seemingly more interested in being kind of the cool friend than the tough parent when that was really needed. And so they were kind of absent in a lot of cases from their kids' career had kind of gotten in their, more in their way than it should have. FAMILIES OF DIVORCE, FATHERS THAT WERE NOT AROUND NEARLY AS MUCH AS THEY SHOULD HAVE BEEN, MOMS WHO WERE KIND OF TRYING TO JUGGLE BOTH MOM AND DAD ROLES, FEELING GUILTY PARENTS ABOUT THAT FACT, AND NOT not WANTING TO BE THE BAD GUY, So THERE'S A LOT OF STUFF, LAZINESS IN SOME CASES, JUST NOT WANTING TO, THE HEADACHE OF POLICING YOUR KID, YOUR TEENAGER, IT'S WORK, IT'S A NUISANCE, AND SOME OF THEM JUST DIDN'T WANT TO BE BOTHERED. So anyway, her point was that the result of that kind of distance was that these kids were kind of lost. They were, like, without a rudder. They just didn't really know about right and wrong because they just weren't hearing it from the people who should have been communicating it. This is what she said in the book about these kids. She said, every kid I talked to eventually came around to saying, without my asking, that they wished that they had more adults in their lives, especially their parents. It was like these parents knew that my 18-year-old, unsupervised, three nights in a hotel is trouble. Like, it's not gonna end well. Like, they knew that, but they wouldn't say no. Like. My, my 16-year-old son, whose girlfriend's mom says it's okay for him to sleep over her house, they were like, I know that's not okay. That's not appropriate. But, you know, my son is saying it's okay. My, the girlfriend's mother is saying it's okay. So I'm, everybody's saying it's okay. I know it's not, but I'm not going to go to war over this. So anyway, this book kind of said that there were a lot of kids making bad decisions because they were without shepherds. They were without important voices in their lives. Anyway, that kind of was. I mean, I'm I'm not a sociologist, and I didn't write a book, but that was kind of my experience as a chaplain in a very big school for six years during that time, 25 years ago. Today, it's interesting, ironic, it's kind of flipped. If you look at books that are being written for parents today, they're still kind of beating them up, they're still critiquing them, but for different reasons, almost the opposite reason. The experts are saying that today, parents won't let go. They're too involved, they're too protective, they're too interfering. They're flying these helicopters hovering over their kids just way more than is healthy. And because of that, these kids are like way too dependent on their parents way too late. They're kind of helpless. And then they go away to college and they don't know what to do because everything's been kind of done for them. Man, 25 years and you get this like almost 180 thing going on. So what should it be? you got parents who are sort of missing in action and then you got parents who won't let go, they won't lighten up. What should it be? I mean probably somewhere in the middle, right? Isn't that usually where we should be? A healthy balance, a healthy middle? It's like we need parents willing to say, no, NOT GOING TO HAPPEN AND WILLING TO TAKE INCOMING FIRE BECAUSE OF IT. WHEN NO IS RIGHT, WHEN NO IS NECESSARY, WHEN NO IS SAFE AND SANE, IT'S GOING TO BE NO. YOU CAN'T. AND AT THE SAME TIME, THAT PARENT ALSO HAS TO KNOW WHEN you GOT TO LET HIM GO. WHEN FREEDOM IS IN ORDER. And we've got to let them fail too. It's kind of like this swinging pendulum, isn't it? I, mean, even, I don't have kids, and I, I can't. I mean, I'm imagining how tough it would be trying to know when to say yes, when to say no. Okay, what am, I, am I moving toward an extreme here? Am I letting fear of something keep me from being who I ought to be? Hey, none of us are, none of us are immune from this. I think we've all gotten tripped up because of sort of this swinging pendulum. But there are people, I think, who do get it right. I mean, not always. Nobody gets it right, obviously, all the time. We all make mistakes, but some get close to that right place. I think that healthy balance, and I think I know who they are. I think it's expressed in this gospel. Jesus is talking to the apostles, and he's saying to them, I'm going, but I'm sending someone in my place. Or additionally, this spirit, this advocate, this power, this force. I won't leave you orphans. I won't leave you alone. I will give you these gifts, these God gifts, Holy Spirit I'm not going to ram it down your throat I'm not going to force you to take it but if you do when you do you're going to win you're going to find that balance because these gifts hey remember when you made your confirmation if you have already remember the the gifts of the Holy Spirit wisdom and courage and uh, reverence and understanding like these great Qualities, these great instincts. I want to I be a person of courage. I want wisdom. I need to know when to do the right thing and, and how to do it. I need to be reverent. I need to make God a priority in my life. These gifts are offered to us. That's exactly what he was offering the apostles. We're the apostles. So when we accept those things, when we become these Spirit, people, we find the balance. Yeah, and again, nobody bats a thousand. But we do better than most because we just invite God's power, God's spirit into our lives. Hey, that's why faith is so important. That's why if you're dating somebody, somebody you're thinking about marrying, it's like, yeah, you bet faith ought to be a factor. Because I'm going to need somebody who's got those gifts, or at least is in pursuit of those things. I want somebody who's reverent and courageous and understanding, because I need those things. You know, there was a, about a year ago, I watched this uh, documentary. It was about Hollywood. Um, well, it was Hollywood and uh, the whole history of like uh, censorship in Hollywood when they came up with like a ratings system they didn't always have one you know PG R, PG 13 like they didn't always have that I guess like in the in the 20s and maybe even in, even in the 30s part of the 30s didn't exist so Hollywood came up with this system they call it the Hayes Code and they would rate movies but it never really took off people weren't really listening to it so the church got involved the, the Catholic bishops And they created what they called the Legion of Decency. Kind of an intimidating name, the Legion of Decency. And it was a bunch of bishops, or maybe people uh, appointed by bishops, who would critique movies. And they'd tell us if it was okay or not to see it. They'd condemn movies. Back then, the church had enormous power. Hollywood was scared to death of the church. Because if the church said to this particular movie, no, no, not, no, don't go see it. Guess what? We didn't go see it. So they were really worried about what the church said. Anyway, talk about extremes, it seems to me. My opinion here, but like, man, you had 70 years ago, the church having so much power, maybe too much power. Everybody listened to everything the church said. And now you get today, where nobody listens. The church has got no muscle, it's got no voice. People don't consult the church almost for anything. So it's like this kind of crazy swinging pendulum. Probably like most things, we'd ought to be somewhere in the middle. Anyway, in this documentary, they mentioned a movie, a couple of movies that were sort of reflective of that time and the church's power And they talked about this movie. It was made in 1944. It was the highest grossing movie of 1944. A lot of you saw it, I suspect, Uh, Going My Way. It was the Bing Crosby, Barry Fitzgerald. It crushed it at the box office. Won seven Academy Awards, best picture, best director, best actor, best Best supporting actor. Just dominated Hollywood. Um, It was about a church, a parish in New York City, and these two priests. and just a bunch of uh, events that happen in the course of the life of this parish. But it's really about these two guys, this old pastor and this new young priest. Bing Crosby is the young guy. Barry Fitzgerald is this old Irish pastor. He's tired, it's sort of a sleepy old parish. Bing Crosby is this new young priest. He comes in, breathes life, life into the place. But they're clashing. It's just kind of a classic old versus new thing. He's not buying this this young guy's approach. And so they're not getting along. But then eventually things change. They had this reconciliation. He gets sick. The old guy gets sick. He's threatened. He's threatened by the young guy. He's kind of jealous of the, the attention he's getting. Very human. But he gets sick. And this is a great scene. He's in bed kind of recuperating. And Bing Crosby, he's the young guy, he comes in and he's kind of taking care of him. He's being very kind to the old guy. So they're talking and they're like, they're kind of letting down their guard, especially the old guy. And they're kind of becoming friendly. And then uh, the old guy says to the young guy, he points to the uh, bookshelf in his room and he goes, there's a, there's a music box over there, go get it. So Bing Crosby takes the mu- music box, brings it over to the bed and he opens it up and there's a bottle of Irish whiskey in this music box, and the music starts playing uh, the Irish song, uh, the Irish lullaby, Tora, Laura, Laura. So Bing, they pour drinks, and they start talking about their mothers, and uh, the old guy's mother is still alive. She's in Ireland, and he hasn't seen her since he left 45 years ago, so he's missing her, (laughs) and they they drink to their mothers, and Bing starts singing Tora, Laura. It's very Hollywood, very kind of... Sentimental scene. And a bunch of other things happen. The final scene of the movie is just so great. The young priest, Bing Crosby, is now being transferred. So it's kind of like a farewell ceremony. And the old guy, he's recovered, and he's now their buddies. So he's talking about Bing Crosby and uh, what a good man he was and how we're going to miss him. And in the middle of his speech, the choir starts to sing. The organ and the choir starts and it starts playing that song, that Irish Tura Laura. So the old guy clearly doesn't know why this is happening. And it's a great scene, moment. He won the Academy Award, Best Supporting Actor. And I, it was for this scene alone, he deserved it. So he hears the music. And you can see he's got this puzzle to look like, why, why are they interrupting me? And then he recognizes the song. And he's even more like, what's going on? And in the back of the church, or the front of the church, by the door, is the old man's mother. Bing Crosby has sent for her from Ireland, and the old man, the son, doesn't know it. So it's so great, he, you just look at him, his, he, you can see him looking, and then like, he, there's no words, it's just him realizing it's his mother. And the mother starts to walk toward him, and she's like 150 years old. <laughs> AND SHE'S WALKING, AND THE HANDS ARE SHAKING LIKE THIS, AND THE TWO OF THEM COME TOGETHER. I MEAN, IT IS PRICELESS. AND THEN HE, YOU KNOW, THE CHOIR IS SINGING THE SONG, AND IT'S JUST THE WAY THEY DID IT. HE, he, uh, he GETS TO HER, AND HE JUST put, LAYS HIS HEAD, LIKE, ON HER SHOULDER. AND THEN SHE KIND OF TAKES HIS HEAD BACK, AND THEN SHE KISSES BOTH OF HIS, both of his cheeks. And then she starts to whisper something into his ear. It's like, really? Tears your heart out. Um, And I remember, I've seen it a a bunch of times. But I remember that scene was part of this documentary. It kind of brought back a lot from the movie. I mean, there are priests. I know priests, older guys now, who saw that movie in the 40s. And it inspired them to priesthood. Like, they told me, like... That movie made me wanna be a priest. I started thinking about the priesthood because of that movie. It's like how powerful the movie was and the church was at that time and the culture. But I remember thinking, this old man, he, looked, he was old enough to be a grandfather, and he's with his mother. And he was almost like a little boy again. Like, we never outgrow our mothers. Like, no matter how old we get, we never stop needing them. You know, about six weeks ago, I got sick. Um, I got like a bug, I got like a stomach virus. And I was up all night, very unpleasant night, in the bathroom multiple times. And uh, the next morning, I was still feeling lousy, I tried to eat a little bit, got sick again, and I, I called my mother. Like, I'm 57 years old. <laughs> you know, but I called her, like, and I just said, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sick, Ma, and then it was like, she was like a, like a ninja. Like, she just, <laughs> questions, do this, don't do that, stay away from this, and I kinda knew all that. Like, I've been sick before. Like, I didn't really need to know that stuff. But I just wanted her in the mix. Like, I just, I kind of wanted her to know, like, and she called me four times a day for the next five days. (laughs) By day two, I was fine. By day four, I was like, Ma, stop. Like, I'm fine. I'm completely okay. Well, you just got to be careful. You know, your your body took a beating and all this kind of stuff. I love that. Um I tell you, my mom, my mother was somebody who struck the balance, I think. I'm biased, but I think she was. In a heartbeat, she could say, no, it's not happening. And she didn't lose sleep over being disliked. But this is the same person who called me four times a day for five days in a row, like, like this balance thing. She was... That movie, it's a great movie. Um, It's so Catholic, it's so Hollywood, it's so sentimental. It's also old, it's almost 80 years old. And it's kinda dated, it's kinda corny, some parts are absolutely, CORNY, IN SOME RESPECTS IT'S KIND OF uh, ALMOST LIKE IRRELEVANT, BUT NOT ALL OF IT. SOME OF IT IS SO TRUE, IT'S SO TIMELESS, SOME OF IT IS SO FOREVER BECAUSE SOME THINGS ARE TRUE AND TIMELESS AND FOREVER like a mother's love.